You're listening to an audio sermon from Hope Bible Church in Oakville, Ontario. For more information, please visit our website at hopeoakville.ca. All right, let's do this by God's strength. Open your Bibles, please, to Acts chapter 6. Acts chapter 6, and we are in the second act of our series in Acts, the second act, which is appropriately called the Church Opposed. The Church Opposed. We've seen that in spades going through the early chapters of Acts. You take the last few weeks, here's kind of where we've been. The church was opposed from without, and then the church was opposed within. That was Ananias and Sapphira, if you remember. Last week again, the church was opposed from without again, religious leaders. And then you can guess this week, the church is going to be opposed within um, again. Okay, so just stepping back from the book of Acts, a little church reality check right now, okay? A little church reality check, and that is we are to expect opposition, and we are to expect it often. The book of Acts is teaching us anything up to this point. Again, it's that opposition apparently is going to come with some frequency, and so we are wise to expect uh, the reality, not to mention the totality of the New Testament as well, anticipating all forms and different kinds of opposition from without and from within. So as we like to say around here too, and this is very important, ready? Align your expectations with what the Bible actually teaches, all right? It's amazing how often we align our expectations with what we want the Bible to say, but doesn't actually say it. What the Bible tells us over and over again is apparently opposition will come in plenty and big and small from external forces, from internal forces, and so on. So with this reality, the question I had, so the opposition keeps coming against the early church. Well, how do they keep going then? How come they don't give up? How come they don't falter? Sure, they have, might have some mishaps and stuff, but we're here today, so something must have gone right, right? So the opposition that keeps coming against the church, again, how is it that they keep going? And here's what we see from our passage today, very insightful, very in some ways basic, but so much of a blessing is one of the greatest ways we resist opposition and we continue on in faithfulness to Jesus Christ is this, it's to have such clarity in terms of our calling. I'll say it again. We must have such clarity in terms of our calling. The early church, they were so clear on what they were called to do, and that resulted, listen, in the power of their priority. They had such power in the priorities given by Christ that they applied on a daily basis, again, to the church. So clear calling and priority power, listen now this, will deliver a massive blow to danger and distraction and disunity and division on the attempt um, of Satan. Okay, so Satan wants to distract and divide and destroy. Calling and the clarity of that calling functions as a GPS of where we are to go. The power of priority in Christ, what he's called us to do, that functions as a GPS as well. And we get distracted, and the GPS says, no, 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 you got to go this way. This is the direction you're supposed to go. And you can't really overstate the power of understanding what we're called to do. But so many have become distracted, and they become misguided, and they can even become a source of division and destruction within the church. So today in Acts 6, we have yet another life-changing passage of wisdom 
and life-changing lessons for us to know this, knowing the who and the why and how are we called. So we're going to entitle this sermon then today this, um, Get Your Priorities Straight, okay? And that's a word for some here right now. Hey, get your priorities straight, all right? And that's a word for all of us in some way here today too. I like that sermon title. I'm going to say it again. Get your priorities straight. It's just fun. It's good. It's good, right? Yeah. Hey, get your priorities straight. Is it working yet? I don't know. We'll see. Holy Spirit, you help us in that way. It's time for us again to realign ourselves, which what we will know is guaranteed to be God's will. What we see in God's word today is an example of this. There's an example of the church getting their priorities straight. Of course, the Bible is replete with precepts on this truth as well. Uh, a few to come to mind. Um, Colossians chapter 3. If then you've been raised with Christ, set your heart and mind on things above, not things are on the earth. Get your priorities straight. If you're, if you're raised with Christ, what are you looking at the world for? How come you're going after the earth? Don't set your mind and heart and things on, on the earth. Set your mind and things above. Set your mind on Christ. Uh, how about Matthew chapter 6? Matthew chapter 6 says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth that moth and rust will destroy. Well, that's pretty dumb. Why would you want to accumulate a bunch of things that's going to rot in the end? Get your priorities straight. Store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Come on, people. Let's go. Get your priorities straight. Again, let's not be foolish. Let's be wise. Let's seek the things that are above. Let's store our treasures in heaven. Hebrews chapter 12. Don't let sin entangle you and trip you up from running the race. Don't be a fool that way. Get your priorities straight. Look to Jesus. Fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of your faith. Get your priorities straight. And precept after precept and example after example, the Bible is chock full of us being told from the Holy Spirit, get your priorities straight. And Acts 6 is another powerful example of the early church doing just that. So, are you excited? All right, that's good, that's good. Let's go 10, 10 15, let's rock the house for Jesus, all right? Acts chapter 6, verse 1. Look what happens here. Now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, notice how often the Bible's trying to tell us, the Holy Spirit's telling, man, the church is growing. Like, it says it over so many times in the book of Acts. It's telling us, man, growth is happening in spades. But notice this. Here comes the opposition. A complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right, it is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. Verse 4, man, awesome. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And then look at, look at verse 7. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. And then look at this, and a great many of the priests became obedient um, to the faith. So here's what I want us to see today in terms of this text and getting our priorities straight. Number one, we're going to keep it simple today, but hopefully helpful. Number one, notice the problem. Uh, the problem. And by the way, notice here that the early church was not the perfect church. They had problems too. And all God's people said, 
And all those people also said, yay, yay. We're not the only ones with problems as well. Even the early church had problems. Look at verse 1. In those days, the disciples were increasing in number, and a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected. So we're told again the church is growing and growing fast. But as we know, when there's growth, with growth, it's exciting, but growth also brings challenges. Uh, Many of you, unlike me, will know what it's like to be part of a growing business. And growing business can be thrilling. It's exciting, but any growing business presents challenges. You get certain sizes, and all of a sudden, you have new problems. Uh, Some of you will know what it means, again, to have a growing family. And as a growing family, it's thrilling, it's so exciting, but the reality is, I mean, the kids keep coming, they start exhausting. Isn't that so true? I mean, I was talking to a couple of families from our church a few weeks ago. They're about 10 years behind Jill and I, let's say. It's amazing how many families in our church seem to have four kids these days, too. And as they're going along, they're like, you, know, you can see the sleep like kind of like, like uh, avoiding them in their eyes, and they're kind of talking about the reality of the kids. I remember that as well. You'll get through it, but I remember it's exhausting. It is. It's thrilling. It's exciting, but it brings new challenges. And of course, the church and the first church is no different as well. There's tremendous growth, but there's new challenges that come with it. And by the way, I've been so encouraged in Acts 6 in ways I expected and ways I didn't expect. I'm like, let's just be mindful. When you see a church grow the way that we're seeing in the early church, or you look at our history as well, it's so important to extend grace to each other. Like, we have to love each other by extending grace. The easiest thing to do in this church right now is to sit in the back row, or I'm not pointing out people right now in the back row, okay, but sit in the bleachers and point your finger and accuse. That is the easiest thing to do in life, it seems, especially in the church. I'll just sit back and do nothing, but I'll accuse everyone of the wrongdoing they're doing. Come on now, right? That's the easiest and most cowardly thing to do. Instead, what you could do is be part of the solution and use your giftedness and serve and, and humble yourself and to see the Lord work within that. That's so exciting. We've got to extend grace to one another. Love each other in this way. Now, verse 1 explains the tensions that were developing in the early church. Notice verse 1, and it's two groups of people. There's the Hellenists. Now, my Bible has a footnote, and yours should too. The Hellenists were Greek-speaking Jews. And then they're kind of contrasted with the Hebrews which were the Aramaic-speaking Jews. And there was already some, like just take the, the context of these two groups, there's always some natural suspicion between the two groups. One commentator, David Guzik, he explains it this way. He says, to oversimplify, and I think that he is oversimplifying, but it's helpful, Hebrews tended to regard Hellenists as unspiritual compromisers with Greek culture. And Hellenists, the Greek-speaking Jews, tended to regard the Hebrews as holier-than-thou traditionalists, okay? So, ah, yes, right from the start here, you have within the early church the temptation of comparison, division, and suspicion. Suspicion has found its way in among certain segments of the early church. By the way, I had a former pastor of mine, and he said this. This is, this is very, very insightful. This is very, very helpful and very powerful for many here today. He said this. He says, he was asked, what's the greatest way Satan um, creates division or creates tension within the church? And he says, that's easy. The single greatest way Satan creates division or tension in the church is he creates suspicion among staff or leadership. That's so true. The enemy seeks to create suspicion among us. 
And most of the time, the suspicion is based on what aren't even facts or a total misinterpretation of something that's happened. If you look at Satan right here, he's trying to create a suspicion, comparison, and conflict between the Hellenists and the Hebrews. So verse 1 explains that the Greek-speaking Jews felt that their widows were being neglected in the food distribution. Now there's nothing in this text that leads us to believe that this neglect was deliberate. Again, this is where we need to give grace to each other. A church this size in the early church, a thousand, someone's going to be overlooked, not intentionally. It's just called reality. I mean, we're not perfect. People make mistakes. But notice, this is again, this is very, very powerful and important here. Notice this great point of application. What Satan loves to do, apply this to your life right now. What Satan loves to do is to take an act that was unintentionally trying to harm someone or do wrong, an act that was unintentionally wrongdoing, but he, he turns, again, this uh, unintentional wrong, and then he translates it into a malicious act. That's what he does. And this happens so much in our lives. We watch someone do something, and we, by Satan's deception, we misinterpret it when they didn't mean to, they're not in, uh, willfully trying to wrong us, but we interpret it out to get me. They're trying to go behind my back. They're trying to bring me down. That's a malicious act. They hate me. They're trying to, they're trying to fight whatever. This is what Satan loves to do and then instantly creates such conflict and lies and division before our word is even spoken to the individual that we're tempted to start hating. I mean, I, how often does that happen to you? Like, I want to pause here for a second because I want the Holy Spirit to give some time to apply into our lives. I mean, who's that having to right now? And you're just spending so much mind time drumming up scenarios and situations of someone who has no clue that you're thinking these thoughts. You think that's healthy? Uh, no. Maybe someone who's been so angry with you, but then one day you find this out, but you've had zero awareness that the person has interpreted your actions as sin against them. I remember years ago, I had a staff member come up to me, and this is so helpful for me, like just like in the moment of honesty, and he says, Robbie, I want you to know, I wasn't ready to hear this. He says, Robbie, I want you to know that I often have negative arguments in my head against you. And I was like, what? Like there's some people I could see that with, okay? There's some people. This guy, though, that, that, it was out of the blue, and like I wouldn't talk to him a ton, or and I, I was just like, what? Like, you know, but I was so thankful he said that. Because, like, it just, it was, it was revolutionary for me. In that moment, I think that's exactly, and especially for someone in my position, like, if Satan can get people hating me or my wife or whatever it might be or just starting to think, the, 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 well, then that creates real problems. And, of course, it happens to all of us. But I remember thinking that, man, yeah, it's so insightful for me to hear because to always try to be mindful of the schemes of Satan that we would not be outwitted, 2 Corinthians, not be outwitted by his designs, and we think about this, I mean, this is what's kind of happening right in the text right here. You know, it makes me think, too, how many times we might be, you know, again, you go up to someone, hey, man, what's up, what's going on? And inside, they're like, they really don't like you, <laughs> but you're not aware of it. You're like, but then maybe what happens, right, you actually talk to the person, or let's say you're feeling these feelings towards someone, and Satan's trying to get you in a place where you're feeling resentment, but you talk to the person, and you actually engage them in conversation. All of a sudden, you're like, oh, it's not as bad as I thought it was. Well, that person's not even remotely the price I thought they were. And then all of a sudden, Satan's like, oh, no! Because Satan knows the moment you start loving each other is the moment 
It's amazing how much love covers a multitude of sins. I mean, this can be applied on a hundred different levels here today, and I'm telling you, man, the more we apply this with love in our church, the healthier this church will become. Like, you gotta do it, husband and wives, you gotta do it, and families, you gotta do it, and friends, you gotta do it, and coworkers gotta do it, and small group members gotta do it, and leaders gotta do it, and staff got to do it, and elders gotta do it, and pastors gotta do it, everyone's gotta do it, everyone's gotta do it. And when that happens, man, wow, wow. I mean, Satan hates the fact that we're preaching on this right now, too, in this kind of insight from this first verse. Major, major tool of the enemy is this. In both directions, us thinking these things, but then us, again, others thinking them towards us. So some principle that we can gather from this. It's a bit of a rhyme, some alliteration to be helpful for you. It's like this. We're ready here today? Don't resent, repent. And then vent, okay? But godly venting, okay? Just rhyme with repent and resent, okay? So yeah, don't, don't resent, repent, and then in a godly way, vent, like express love, communicate grace and love to those uh, who are around you, powerfully going to cause our church to be mobilized in unity. So the early church has a legitimate problem, and the response now from the apostles is life-changing and is very critical. So number one, the problem. Number two, now we see this, the priority, the priority. Look at verse two. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. It is not right, they said. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Holy Spirit, and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and the ministry of the world. Okay, foundational verses, Hope Church right here foundational verses, notice what's happening, okay? Step back far enough, look, look, ready? Notice the clarity of their calling. Notice the power of their priorities. Notice the empowerment through delegation. Notice the importance of church organization. Notice the emphasis on godly character. All of that right here in these few verses, it is packed with spiritual protein. Notice, too, that due to this complaint, this is very telling, the apostles are immediately feeling the pressure to abandon their primary priorities. Look what Satan's trying to do here. How much Satan desires to use complaint and conflict to knock the apostles off of the clarity of their calling and the pursuit of dependence upon God and the ministry of the gospel, which is only found through the word of God. Let's pull to our day. How many pastors have shown up on a weekend with a half-baked sermon, totally run out, unprepared, and exhausted because they've been so overrun by programs and people programs, people problems throughout the week? And in many cases, in many churches, this is what happens, man. You've got to fight against this every single week. In many cases, the few might be given attention, but the masses are neglected. That's not wisdom, that's not biblical leadership, that's not feeding the sheep of God, that's not loving the church of God either. But evidently, again, if you read into what's happening, evidently on some level, what the apostles were hearing in this complaint, because it's right in there, it's an inference, but it's also inherent to the text, on some level they were hearing this, stop preaching God's word so much and come care for us. Why are you so consumed with the teaching of God's word when the obvious needs are right? Stop talking, start doing. Come on, apostles. Like they would be feeling legitimately this accusation coming at them. Because the way they respond is, look at verse two. The way they respond is, 
it is not right. Saying it's not right what you suggest. It's not right. I mean, how clear? It is not right. It is not right for us to give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. It is not right. It is wrong for us to abandon the greatest priority that we've been commissioned by by Jesus Christ for the gospel. Irrefutable based on this text. Now, it's really important to clarify. The apostles were not too spiritual to serve tables. That would be contrary to Jesus' teaching all over the gospels. Washing each other's feet and caring for the poor. What they knew by God's spirit, though, if they're being asked to do something that will cause them to neglect the preaching of the word of God, then they will be in sin. They will be missing out on the very source of power that even allows the church to even exist. The apostles, by the spirit, they knew the priority, the primacy, the power, the position, and the purpose of the word of God. Here's what the apostles knew, again, as well as anyone ever. They knew we used this before. It's so encouraging. We use it again. They, they understand the Bible is like a seed that saves us. The word of God's water that washes us. A fire that cleanses us. A hammer that shatters us. A sword that cuts us. Like medicine that keeps us from the sickness of sin. Next slide. They understood here the Bible is like a mirror to reflect ourselves to show our sin. It's a lamp to our feet. It's a counselor, a forecaster. It's like milk that nourishes us. And it's like meat that satisfies us. The word of God is the sufficiency for our salvation. 2 Timothy chapter 3 makes us wise for salvation. The law of the Lord is what revives our heart. The word of God is living and active. If you take away the word, if the church neglects the word, the church will just falter and fail and become again futile in their attempts to see lives change. The apostles knew this. And this is notice, this is the importance and priority of their calling. The clarity of their conviction. Okay, ready? This is good. Their no will lead to a greater yes. And their no here is about to lead to greater empowerment of the church and to the equipping of the saints, which is God's design in the first place. Look at, look at, look at verse 3. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, um, who we will appoint to this duty. Now, I, I love this, whether preaching or s- serving tables, I want you to see the emphasis here, uh, filled with the spirit and wisdom and character. So this is so important here. Notice this. Um, character and godliness is paramount, whether it's from food preparation or to the pulpit, everything in between. Character and godliness must be seen. From fruit prep to the pulpit, God wants his children to be those, again, uh, growing in character, full of the spirit and wisdom. And notice the highest priorities for the apostles here. Look at verse 4. They say, we will devote ourselves to prayer and the ministry of the word. Again, look at that word, devote. Feel, Feel the power of their priority. See the conviction of their calling. Um, how seriously did Jesus take the exhortation from Jesus after Jesus was raised from the dead and they're on, they're on the shore there and three times Jesus asked Peter, Peter, do you love me? And every time after that, Jesus says, feed my sheep, tend my lambs, feed my sheep every time. How seriously did Peter take that? And also we learn here, look at the order of verse four. I think that's significant. How effective will preaching be without prayer? 
We will give ourselves, devote ourselves to the ministry or to prayer and then the ministry of the word. How, again, how effective will preaching of God's word be without the cries of the people for dependence upon God? Listen, there's a reason that Spurgeon, when he preached, he used to bang on the floor of his pulpit because the people downstairs in the church basement were praying and he'd be like, pray more! You gotta pray. We need a church basement, man. Absolutely, eh? We, we need that. I'd be like, you gotta pray right now. You gotta pray. That would be so good. I mean, that, that's a reality sometimes when you're preaching, man. Help, 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 you know? Come on, God. You gotta, you gotta help us here, right? Um, there's a reason every week, literally almost every week, I send a prayer email to my prayer team on behalf of the services and the preaching and for our family, just because we just, you just know you can't do it. There's a reason that every Sunday our, our elders gather twice to pray for the services. Before the 8.30 service and before the 5 o'clock service. There's a reason that our pre-service prayer team gathers in the same times. Twice a day on Sunday to pray. The reason we pray on Monday, December 23rd at 6 p.m. for our Christmas Eve services is because if we don't pray, we, we, just, we, we just can't do it. we got to pray. Prayer in the ministry of the Word. See, this is where theology really helps us. Theology says... I can't change a single life. God can do whatever he wants to. Um, you should ask him a few things then. You should ask him to do a couple of things for you. You know what I'm saying? It's the simple understanding of the power of the theological process of understanding dependence and prayer. Can I ask you a question then? Why is it that so few of us actually pray? How come our prayer ministry in this church is so bleak in terms of often attendance? Well, Man, you can compare this church to others, and you say, man, we got hundreds showing up on a monthly basis. I mean, massively encouraging. But here's what I know all the time, man. There's, there's, there's a lot more people who can get involved. And you say, well, why, why is that not happening? How come so few of us are praying in our homes? How, so, how come so few of us pray in our marriages? How come so few of us pray with our love? How come so few of us come up for prayer after the service? Well, you could say, well, a lot of people do that. I know, that's pretty awesome. But it could be a lot more. How come... I mean, because I just, you guys, the question be like, well, why is that? Because we have bad theology, or we have good theology that we don't apply. Again, man, I just, I just want us to be able to at least, I'm not afraid of conviction, I'm not afraid of repentance. I just need it so much. And what we're seeing here as disciples, man, they're setting up the priority to be like, man, like, listen, if we're going to do anything, we got to give ourselves to prayer and the ministry of the word. William McDonald, he said this, this is so good. They made it a point to speak to God about men before speaking to men about God. Yeah, they really did make it a point, didn't they? Because they knew the proper course of theology and reality. Think about it. If I ask you this question... How would you answer? What are the two non-negotiable, most important, essential gifts the Lord has given to his church? What are the, don't say anything right now, what are the two most important gifts that the Lord has given to his church? Absolutely essential. Top two ever. Answer, number one, the Holy Spirit. Number two, the word of God. Without question, nothing else comes close. Two most important gifts he's given to his church. Holy Spirit, Word of God. So listen, prayer calls upon the dependence of the Holy Spirit. Preaching, the ministry of the Word, is 100% reliant upon the Word of God. Again, written by God in the Gospel of God. 
So who's listening to this right now? If you want to guarantee yourself to be in God's will, and if you want to guarantee on the path to blessing, I didn't say ease, I didn't say comfort, I didn't say everything you wanted, but the guaranteed path of God's blessing, you start here, prayer, ministry of the word. Guaranteed God's blessing upon your life as God decides. If we're not filling our lives with prayer and the ministry of the word, how then can we expect to know the joy and the peace and the power and the strength of God when the top two gifts of God to the church ever aren't even in our top ten? Stop complaining, man. The answer's clear. That makes us very, very dumb. God is so clear, and we neglect the very source of power and truth upon our lives. Sometimes I love pointing out things that are so immensely obvious that Satan's so clever at distracting us from and getting us off. You know, sometimes the appetizers can distract us and desserts can tempt us. The main course is meant to sustain us and nourish us. We must devote ourselves to prayer and the ministry of the word. And by the way, just right now, some pastoral transparency. You need to know that you know, over the years, I've agonized at times with our church growth. Like, I really have agonized. I mean, it's been exciting. It's been thrilling. We're very thankful for the lives that have been changed. But when you go from four couples to 4,000, um, that involves a little bit of change. And at times, you know, like, it's just like my heart, honestly, uh, my heart's yours right now. My heart has ached at times with the feeling and the knowledge that I'm letting people down. I mean, like, it just, it's just when you are in a church of 100 people, I mean, that's just so different than a church of 4,000. And you had relationships in different ways, and you had connectivity that you could have, and just like in those moments, I'm telling you, man, there's, there's been many times, my wife Jill and I both, there's been so many times you just, you, you are literally aware, I'm letting that person down, letting that person down, I'm not really doing it. and just you agonize over the reality of how do I get through this because you're just a person and you're just so weak, and yet you have this calling that you must fulfill upon your life. And maybe some of you can resonate with what I'm saying as well. That's been, that's been a source of great heartache for me over the years. But this is where this passage this week has been so life-giving and so encouraging. To say they battled with it too. And they had to know the priority of their lives and the calling of what God has called them to. Because if they neglect the first thing, they have nothing. This text does breathe life into me. you got to know your calling. And again, to understand, the body has been designed by God, not for a couple of leaders, but for the whole body to function as a body. It's so unfair to look up and to dedicate just a couple of people to do all these different things. Everyone together jumping in and serving and loving and being humble, not posturing for position, but just so grateful to be saved in Christ and serve one another. That's when the church comes to life. I want you to know, too, on an elder level, the conversation increasingly, just in light of the wisdom presented in Acts 6 here, the conversation increasingly is not what programs should we add to the church, but what programs should we cut. Now hear me when I say that. It's just the understanding is we can never be distracted from what we're most called to. I think all of you would share this truth of that sometimes so many churches are so filled with programs, they neglect the presence of God. Tozer said that. Never let the program take precedent over the presence. And the moment you start neglecting the presence, man, forget it, I'm out. 
that Lord help us be so clear and convicted as ever as to the power of our, the power of priority upon our lives and church and leadership and where we're headed. The problem, the priority, and thirdly, this notice the provision. Look at verse five now. And what they said pleased the whole gathering. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip and Prochorus and Nicanor and Timon and Parmenas and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles and they prayed and laid their hands on them. Now, look what's happening here in these verses. Here we see the delight in delegation. We see the edification of empowerment. Notice, okay, okay, notice this. I'm going to read this slowly because there's a lot here, but I, I want us to understand what's happening in God's wisdom here by the church obeying God. Notice the provision of these leaders. These things happen. Notice this. Giftedness is utilized. Leaders are multiplied. Church needs are met. The body is being cared for. Discipleship grows. Strength is diversified. Unity is strengthened. And callings are confirmed. All of this has happened as the provision of new leaders rise up to take the roles that address the needs of the church at that time. I think when it comes to the heart of verses 5 and 6, I think as our church... As Hope Bible Church, that sometimes we've done this well, that sometimes we've done this quite poorly. I just want to be upfront about that. But again, I'm very encouraged by the challenges of the growth that the early church had and that we can really, really relate to. And it can really encourage us and say we're not alone. And this is such, again, this is such an encouragement for us here today. God's not giving up on us. And we can see more and more kind of the Holy Spirit work and improve and, and, and strengthen us. So, Maybe you're here right now and like we, we, we see the priority and we see the provision of a kind of new crop of leadership raised up to meet the needs again of the church in Acts chapter 6. You're kind of sitting here right now and again, it's so easy to sit and spectate. That's, that's the easy thing. Well, what do I do? Like where do I start? Well, here at Holt Bible Church, we have a discipleship path that is biblically irrefutable, that is Holy Spirit inspired, and that is guaranteed to be a blessing and a path of blessing upon our eyes. We call this the 5G life. I mean, I hope you know what this is, and maybe we got to talk about it more and more and more. The 5G life, why don't you look at this right here, okay? When this is being, by the way, this isn't like, oh, that's cute, 5G's alliteration. I mean, hope loves to do that. But this is just biblical. This is a path. Everything is, is backed by Scripture, by Christ himself. When this happens, we are guaranteed to be running at optimal health. Guaranteed. When each person does this, and I've always loved this metaphor of the tree. I've always loved this image. And we've got to get it out in front of you a little more often. That's why we're doing it right now, okay? God time is abiding in Christ. That becomes the roots. That becomes the roots. And I wonder, even this morning, even this morning, how many of us woke up seeking the Lord and had God time before we gathered here together? I'm like, God, please let it be over 50%, which is really low. But I, I just, I know the stats. Please, God. How many of us actually sought the Lord Today, when we got up, I mean, I was reading in my God time in the last couple of days in 2 Chronicles, the difference, the single greatest difference of King Asa and King Jehoshaphat, it said over, they sought the Lord. They sought the Lord. They sought, they, you cannot overstate the power of seeking the Lord, abiding in Him, dwelling in His presence. God time leads to gathered time. Y'all got here today, awesome. 
Gathering together as the church, gathering to pray, gathering to worship. The encouragement, again, just right now, the message you're hearing, the gathering of this time. What happens if you slept in today? What's up, live stream? Maybe you're slept in a little bit, but you're watching or watching at least. That's not bad, right? 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 But you're here. What happens if you sleep in and you miss us? The truth that you're hearing by God's Spirit and God's Word, you're missing. And you lay on the couch and watch a little more on TV, whatever, and you're going to, you know, evolve into nothing. Right? Right? And gather time in group time. Getting together with groups in the church and discipleship. And group time leads to gift time. Using my giftedness. Uh, stewarding my resources or God's resources upon my life. And go time for the gospel. When these five G's are happening, it is a guarantee you will be pursuing health. Notice, I didn't say again, easy. I didn't say without trial. Probably guarantees more trial. Probably guarantees because now, now, now Satan's afraid of you. When we're all doing this, this church will be moving towards optimal health. I can't do it for you. And you can't do it for me. But we can hold each other accountable and we can love each other. I'm telling you, man, you know, even right now, I felt this in the first service and Holy Spirit reminds me again. Who here right now, who here, the Holy Spirit right now speaking to you and saying, man, it's time for you to get in the game. You've been on the bench way too long, man. You've been too lazy, to be honest, lazy. Who is the Holy Spirit speaking to right now? Holy Spirit's like, I'm speaking to you, whether he does it or not, who knows, you know, whatever. But the Holy Spirit's saying, hey, listen, the Holy Spirit, right to you right now, man, one-on-one. -on -one, the Holy Spirit's like, come on now, let's go. Come on, come on, 5G life. You know it's true, you know it's real, you know it's right. Come on now, don't get to the end. So many, will, even, even believers, they'll get to the end of their life and stand before God, and God will be like, man, I gave you five talents, what'd you do with it? mm-hmm. <laughs> Mm, I, I buried it in the ground. What, what did you do that for? I told you exactly what to do with it. And you'd be like, uh, 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 biggest regret of your life. Come on now. Don't just sit on the, easy to sit in the bleachers, man. Pretty easy to do that. We want to help you. want to love you in that. Let's go. Everyone doing their part, man. It gets pretty exciting. Lives start getting changed. It's amazing. So we have the problem, the priority, the provision. How much you want to bet the fourth one starts with a P? All right, number four, this, the progress. The progress. Look at verse seven. Love verse seven. Okay, okay, don't miss this, okay? The early church, obedient to their calling, um, well organized and led. And, but look at, look at how God honors this. Verse seven. You think this is here by accident? Oh, no. And the word of God continued to increase. Notice, the word of God. Because the word of God wasn't neglected. Now many churches aren't even preaching the word of God anymore? Well, good luck at the word of God increasing when you don't open the book. Good luck with that. And the word of God continued to increase. And the number of disciples multiplied. Notice the connection there. The word of God is preached and people get saved. Wow. Imagine that. And then look at this. And a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. Now that's not insignificant. The last time we heard about the priests, man, they're the ones that wanted to kill all the apostles. The ones who killed Christ. And now the Bible's telling us that some of even the priests of the religious order are coming to faith in Jesus Christ. That's incredible. That's incredible. That's awesome. Look, 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 look what God's doing. He's sending us such an encouragement. Now. He's listen, man, you're obedient to me. You get your priorities in place. You're filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. 
man, the word of God's going to increase. People are going to get saved. And I will do more than you could have asked or imagined, Ephesians 3. There'll be people like priests, the religious opposers of the gospel. They will even come to Christ. We will see miracles in our midst. If you trust in me, love me, are obedient to me, and are faithful to what I've called you to do, the things I will continue to do for my own glory, God says. I'm looking for a few faithful men and women and children who will have their priorities straight, their priorities straight, and their lives on mission, and their hearts and minds renewed, and their hearts filled with affection. Get your priorities straight. What are the things that we could see? What are the things we've seen so much? Listen, four services, we have a thousand seeds to fill with salvation. A thousand seeds to fill in salvation. We gave a whole cards last week. We have Christmas Eve cards. We have lives to testify to the glory of Jesus Christ. I got to do that in part again this past week. Wasn't even really expecting it. Just happened. Conversation led to that. It was really surprised me. And all of a sudden, just there it was. And in that moment, they're like, okay. Deep breath. Here we go. Testify to Jesus Christ. It's pretty encouraging. But it's going to take more than a couple of us. It's going to take all of us. Come on, Lord, help us. Help us. Get your priorities straight. Let's go, church. Get your priorities straight. What needs to change? What needs to go? What needs to come in? What needs to be reinforced? We're going to sing a song. Worship team, you can come out if you want to. We're going to sing a song right now. This is a song of priority summarizing the book of Acts so far. Lord, at the end of the day, I want to follow you. At the end of the day, I want to follow you. Let's pray together, church. Let's pray together. Lord, I'm, I'm so encouraged this week by your text. I'm encouraged right now as I preach it for the second time. I just believe it's so right and so true. And I just, I just love this example of the early church having their priorities, but then caring, caring for those in need. I love the body stepping up. I love the variety of giftedness, but I love the calling. I love the calling for the gospel. And I love the multiplication we see. I love the miracle of priests being saved. And I pray as we sing this song even right now, Lord, you'll be using it that we can affirm. And, and church, use it, use it. Sing it, use it in joy. And say, yes, Lord, yes, Lord. The priority of my life, the priority of my life is to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we sing that now together, and I pray you'll give us joy as we do. In Jesus' name, amen.